to this dude Rufus? He knows what he's talking about. I don't think so. Bomb bombs, a bowl full of chips. Bomb bombs, with Jeppy and Pip. Bomb bombs, two young brothers. Bomb bombs, talking college football. Bomb bombs, and life and humor. And some funny ass clips. So relax and unwind. With a bowl full of chips. college football fans welcome to the UCF of college football podcast we are BFC that is bowl full of chips I am your Mackenzie Milton the point man I am Chappie and like Milton can't be effective with his without his Greg McRae his Adrian Killens his Gabriel Davis or his Dredrick Snelson I am joined by my dynamic and skilled co-host the BIP Yep, and like UCF, we are uh, undefeated and underrated um, in the eyes of many. So, uh, good to be here. Good to join you, Chappie. How are you today? I'm good, man. I'm good. I'm better inside than outside, but, uh, you know, it's, like we always say, it's it's a good day when you can talk college football, and that's exactly what we're going to do tonight. So, I'm blessed and I'm loving it, so let's get going. What do you say? Yep, and I always tell the same thing to my wife. I'm better inside than I am outside. Yep, especially when it involves uh, an invite anywhere. Uh, I'm better in the comfort of my own home. Exactly. <laughs> uh, well, today, Bip and I are, we've been excited for this for a couple of weeks, and we kind of touched on it on our last podcast. We're going to give our top 25 from Chappie and from Bip. So, we purposely waited this long, not because we followed the lead of other publications. We certainly could have jumped right in right after the Alabama-Clemson National Championship game, or should I say Clemson-Alabama, um, or really Clemson-Alabama didn't show up as much as we thought. But we, um, we wanted to do you, the listeners, the favor of researching, taking our time, sifting through things, and being able to back up with, with good rationale why these teams are making our top 25 so um it's stay inside weather so we'll continue to look at this top 25 and um since you're inside and since everyone's gaining weight during the winter anyway why don't you pull up a bowl full of chips and let's get going well let's go to our twitter handles so the people can follow us bit tell them where they can find you on twitter i am at bfc underscore bip that's bfc underscore bip how about you Chappie? i am at champion underscore lit again that's at champion underscore lit so again if you if you have your bowl full of chips but you're done and you're looking around and you're like man i need some more log on to twitter get into your handle see what's going on but give us a follow on our twitter handles we love to chime in about the sport both in season and probably more so out of season. Wouldn't you say that? Yep. Absolutely. Couldn't agree with you more. So, um, Bip, we are still, you know, unfortunately we are still 31 weeks until the start of college football season when Arizona and the Wildcats and Kevin Sumlin take, uh, take the field against the Hawaii warriors, formerly the rainbow warriors under their leadership of Nick Rolovich, one of the Hawaii greats there. But again, 31 weeks, I give us that number because if we broke down the days, it's in the hundreds and it's not a good number you want to hear right now on January 19th, when we've got below zero temperatures and we've got 
snow that needs to be shoveled outside. Yeah, and 31 weeks away, uh, Arizona-Hawaii may not sound like the uh, barn burner uh, to many, but uh, for, for us college football freaks, it's like it's like that being the uh, the only member of the opposite sex in the bar. They become better and better looking as you get closer and closer <laughs> to 2 o'clock. So That's can't wait right. for it. <laughs> yeah, it's all relative, man. It doesn't have to be the prom queen. <laughs> Uh, well, we are the podcast that gives you more than the mainstream potties do. We're going to throw details at you. We pay close attention to detail. This is not just a flip open a magazine, click on ESPN and go with what you see on the front page or go with what you see scroll on the bottom line, because believe it or not, there are some publications that can get things wrong. Uh, we back our claims with research. We have no political agenda. We have no occupational agenda. What Vip and I say is strictly from what we can give you we uh we use our first amendment right to freedom of expression to say what we want to say and don't have to feel like we're going to lose our college football jobs because currently we are self-funded and uh i don't know about you bit but i i love me as an employee and i'm going to keep me around for a while yeah um i you know i may be a little hard on myself from time to time but i agree with you that uh, i'm the best boss that i've ever had <laughs> yeah, that's right and i agree and, and you're a great co-worker <laughs> as are you uh, so we're, you know, we're both going to be complimentary and critical wherever such revelations are due, not just to the teams we talk about, but, you know, we are, we're big enough to realize that if we say something now and three, four months from now, or if somebody, one of you smart listeners on Twitter chimes in and, and corrects us with a point of order, we are, we're big enough and we are humble enough to make sure that we, we get it right. And, and we don't make the same mistake twice. Like Bear Bryant always would tell his players. So a little bit. Everyone loves to rank things and everybody loves to discuss what should be and what shouldn't be. And again, I talked about our First Amendment right uh, of freedom of expression, which allows us the chance to say what is right and gives others the right to criticize our judgment. So it does go back and forth. It does go both ways. Uh, So we're going to bring to you our early top 25 to start the 2019 season. Now, I do want to point this out to our listeners. Things to keep in mind about this poll, this is just to start the season. So when... The first week, you know, week zero of college football, which a lot of casual sports fans roll off and like Bip alluded to and said, well, it's just Arizona and Hawaii. No, 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 no. It's the start of the college football season. So when that starts and basically even before that, when fall camp begins in the in the second week in August, these are the teams that we think going into the 2019 season should be ranked in the top 25. Now, obviously, college football is beautiful because there are so many moving parts. Things can change, and this top 25 we give to you now is most likely going to be different in two months from now. It's going to be different in June, and it's going to be different even in August. So keep that into perspective. We specifically are looking at the way teams finish the season, so not the whole body of work from last year, but really maybe midseason on because that's when you really start to get injuries that set in. You start to see trends. Um We're not just basing it solely off of how they did in the bowl game or how they uh, ended the season. Like, for example, Michigan, I know you're going to love this example, the way that they got blasted against Ohio State and the way that they got dragged through the mud against Florida, that may or may not influence how we see the Wolverines coming this year. Um, So this is not necessarily our projected order of finish to to end the season. We want to be clear on that. 
because like we said, we, there are a lot of uh, cogs that are in place, but this is how we see the top 25. If the season started today, this is who BIP says is numbers one through 25, and this is who I, Chappie, say will be one through 25. So let's not waste any more time, BIP. Uh, let's get right to you. And what we're going to do, folks, is we're going to look here in tiers. So we're going to go five teams at a time, starting at the bottom of the list at the uh, number 25. So, uh, Bip, give us your 25 through 21. All right. 25, we got the Florida State Seminoles. 24, the Miami Hurricane. 23, your Northwestern Wildcats. Chappie. Okay. 22, I have the... Uh, I have Army, 21, I have the UCF Golden Knights, and I uh, wanted to take a minute just to talk a little more about UCF. Uh, biggest question, obviously, uh, going into the season is what kind of production are they going to get from their quarterback position? Now, um, I haven't looked too much into uh, what Mackenzie Milton's timetable is, whether he actually will be able to play football uh, again in his career, if so, what the timetable is. But a lot's been uh, written about uh, the recent transfer of Notre Dame quarterback Brandon Wimbush to UCF um, and uh, the the competition that he'll have with uh, incumbent Mack um, at UCF. Uh, Both are pretty similar quarterbacks, great running skills, but... Um, really lack a lot in the accuracy department, <clears throat> excuse me, that Mackenzie Milton had. So um, offensively, uh, they also lose their top receiver in uh, Dredrick Snelson and yeah. a couple offensive linemen, but they do return Greg McRae coming off a very productive season where he averaged 8.9 yards per carry, and they also return uh, three of their top four receivers outside of Snelson. Uh, defensively, uh, they lose a lot on defense, uh, but they do return all three of their first team, um, all AAC defenders. Um, and my, my biggest question with the Knights going into this year is, um, like I mentioned, Brandon Wimbush is an outstanding athlete. And if he does win the job or if Mac wins the job, um, my biggest concern is what kind of drop off do they see with their offensive efficiency? Because Milton was someone that could uh, be very productive, very efficient, um, had a good touch on the ball and was very athletic. Um, I saw it firsthand at uh, at Notre Dame with Brandon Wimbush of he could win you games with his legs, but he could also lose you games with his lack of accuracy. Th- simple things like, you know, five yard out passes, uh, screen passes. Um, so that's really going to be a-, a thing to note is if, if they don't get uh, Milton back at all this season, um, I think that this could be the year that UCF actually does lose um, a game or two, maybe even three, depending on how the schedule shakes out. Um, I think the the losses on defense combined with that uh, that unknown at quarterback gave me a lot of cause for concern as to where to put UCF on the schedule or on, on the on my rankings. Um, yeah. I definitely think they're a top twenty five team, but I think that they're going to be lower than what uh, everyone else may expect. Yeah, and and for those who maybe just joining us on this episode, our last podcast, Bip and I looked at teams that we thought others had ranked too high or too low and neither of us um had mentioned ucf and we we kind of waited for this podcast specifically but i agree with you i think ucf um is more in the 21 to 25 range because of the fact that there's a question at quarterback and it's it's a very 
faint and very small question mark. I think that Brandon Wimbush certainly gives him more than what Daryl Mack is going to bring to the table. I think he's a much better athlete. I think he takes care of the ball a little bit better. Um, And I don't know that they're looking for him to win games downfield. I think that offense and that speed that they've got on the outside – um, all he's got to do is complete a slant route, complete a hitch route. He's got to hit a, a dig or a drag underneath and let his athletes do the work. And when things break down, use his his elusiveness to get out of the pocket and to continue to move the ball. And I think it's going to be uh, an exciting challenge for him. I think it's going to we're going to see a quarterback who's going to be woke and and rejuvenated. And I think it'll be a little bit refreshing for him to kind of get out of that Brian Kelly system and no disrespect to Kelly in that offense but I think it's going to be a little bit more fun and a little bit more at the pace where Wimbush can relax and just go out there and play ball as opposed to maybe the the pressure and the the scrutiny that he sometimes got under Kelly yeah I think it'll be important to see what Josh Heupel and that offensive coaching staff does do they play to Brandon Wimbush's strengths of throwing the long long ball and having him use his legs or do they make um, Brandon Wimbush fit their system more as as he's not someone that can be easily um, you know amendable to uh, an offensive system I think you have to tailor your game around his strengths or else you could have some issues there yeah and, and one question I have for UCF is but they haven't lost in 26 games, um, and now they lost their last game, and they have eight months plus to think about that. And some of those players, they that's a long time to think about a loss. I mean, it's one thing to lose and then be able to bounce back the next week, but when you uh, were going two years with doing nothing but winning and you've got all this positive energy around you and and your fan base is one of the best in the country. I mean, that bounce house atmosphere, I, I'll be honest, UCF football games at home in Orlando were one of the most exciting draws that I had as a college football fan last year. I love tuning into UCF football. Um, of course, until Mackenzie Milton got hurt and things got a little bit more pressure packed and they weren't the same UCF team. But how are they going to respond? Are they going to bounce back and and prove to the college football world that, yeah, we are legit? Or are we taking a step back because we don't have our all-everything quarterback and now we're trying to deal with a little bit of adversity and loss? And and I'll be honest, I think there's a lot of people who are starting to rethink, is UCF mentionable in, you know, the the top 15 in college football? Yeah, for sure. you know, we talk about being objective here, Bip, and to prove to people that I'm not a complete homer, I mean, you know me, you know that I love my Wildcats, but I don't agree that Northwestern is a top 25 team to start the season. And, you know, full apologies to all my Wildcat followers and, and Wildcat faithful, but but here's my reasoning for that. They were not a good offensive team last year. They were uh, good enough. But I don't think that you can do that two years in a row. And their biggest question mark was on the offensive line, and they lost three of them. They were 111th in pass offense. They were 117th in rush offense. And not only did they lose three offensive linemen, but they also lost their offensive line coach. Uh, Matt Cushing took the head coaching job at Eastern Illinois University, and good luck to him and the Panthers this year. But um, that's, you know, they're replacing with Kurt Anderson, who really has I mean he was at Arkansas he's a Michigan grad so he comes from a good pedigree and he's been around some good coaches but it'll be interesting to see how coach Anderson 
gets right in there. And it, yeah, they have Hunter Johnson at quarterback, but if he's not protected and if he is uh, being rushed through his progressions and can't sit there and make his reads, he is certainly more of the drop back passer as opposed to the, uh, the more mobile Clayton Thorson. And I say that even after Thorson had a knee injury and, and had MCL surgery, uh, or ACL surgery, I just don't know that the Wildcats are worthy of being one of the top 25 teams to start the season. Now, we all know that Pat Fitzgerald is raising the bar and, and he is one of the greatest at winning as an underdog. Um, and and that's, that's going to play to their strengths. But to start the season, I, I'm going to have to uh, unfortunately disagree with you on, on Northwestern there at 23. Yeah, I think a lot of that, uh, their sink or swim on that is how good uh, Hunter Johnson can can be when he comes in. I mean, last year, Clayton Thorson threw 15 interceptions and was really up and down despite being a, an all-time uh, Wildcat quarterback. So right. um, how effective can, can Johnson be? Can, can he take them to that next level? And, and because they were... Um, so inefficient last year. I think there's a lot of opportunity for that to happen, considering his lofty um, ranking as a as a high school quarterback coming in. But as we know, those those uh, five stars don't always hit. So, be interesting to see how your Wildcats do this year, Chappie. Yeah, one thing we we know that we they have going from is, is they've got a really good defense. Mike Hankowitz is one of the best coordinators in the game. Patty Fisher is an All-American. Joe Gaziano is probably the most underrated defensive lineman in the country. Um, <laughs> He's going to be somebody that NFL teams are going to want to really look at. And, um, you know, I, I don't want to claim that I am a, an NFL projectionist, so I'm not going to say maybe where he's going to go in the NFL draft next year. I will tell you that uh, as, a, as a Wildcat follower, um, I'm glad to see that he stayed here and he didn't uh, make that jump that some people maybe felt that he could have because of his size and because of his production. He led the Big Ten in sacks two years ago. Um, he was in the top five this year just a, uh, a freak coming off that edge. And if you don't believe me, ask Brian Lewerke, go and look up on YouTube 2016, um, Joe Gaziano sack against Michigan State. <laughs> You're going to like that one. Yeah. <laughs> so who was your uh, 25 through 21, Chappie? Well, um, there were a lot of teams, Bip, that I could have put at 25. And, and honestly, the easy way out would have been saying, okay, let's make it our top 30. But I'm going to pick the Army black knights at 25 and my main reason why i put them there is because they've earned it this year they won 11 games they return a good part of their nucleus that they had from last year they do lose some players on defense but um i like army at 25 washington state at 24 iowa at 23 the ucf golden knights at 22 and missouri at 21 so the team i want to take a closer look at is washington state and Bip, they were a team that I had marked down as somebody that maybe should be higher than what some teams or some people were giving them credit for. Now, I did see one publication, um, a four-letter publication, put them as high as 13. I don't know that they're worthy of that high of a rank, but, you know, people will point out, well, they lose Gardner, Gardner Minshew. And, um, you know, they lose some of their defensive line, but they bring back almost all their wide receivers. In fact, I think they do bring back their top five or six wide receivers in terms of production. They bring back four offensive linemen. And we, we touched on it before. Mike Leach is a whiz with quarterbacks. If you give him somebody who physically has an arm that can throw, he's going to turn them into an all-pack 12 contending quarterback. 
Um, the thing that I think that they need to be leery of is they need to try and run the ball. They were 128th in rush offense last year, and it wasn't because they didn't have a productive back. Um, I do think that James Booby Williams uh, jumped to the NFL a tad too soon. I think he could have stayed one more year because he's more of a third down back in the NFL, and I don't know that some teams are going to specifically draft him just for that role. He's, I don't see him as a between-the-tackles runner. Um, so they bring back Max Borgie this year, but again, he's, you know, in that system, those running backs are not so much hard-nosed runners between tackles. I, I think that Washington State could benefit a little bit more if they did devote a little bit more attention to being able to run the football when they want to. Um, there may be a little bit of drop in their run defense this year because of their losses up front and at linebacker. Peyton uh, Pelour is a great linebacker. They're going to miss him at, at middle backer this year. But they're strong in the secondary. Um, they, uh, you know, they they've got one of the better uh, groups that. Um, uh, and I misspoke. They they actually do have a deep D line. Uh, what I was referencing is they they lose some of their linebackers, but you know their defense is going to be their calling card this year, I think. And I'm really surprised, Bip, that nobody hired Tracy Clays away from Washington State, one of the bigger blue blood power five schools like Oklahoma went and got Alex Grinch from Ohio State. Ohio State's defense wasn't nearly as good as Washington State's this year, in my opinion. Um, so Tracy Clays is going to be somebody who has got a lot to work with this year. Um, and as long as they can get a quarterback, and I did see that they were eyeing Eastern Washington's quarterback, and I can't think of his name at the moment. Um, but he took Eastern Washington to the FCS final this year, losing to North Dakota State, which everybody has the last seven years. Um, that's a guy to look out for. And he lit up the scoreboard and, and put up big stats at Eastern Washington. So if he does transfer over and moves to Pullman, Washington, and he's got Mike Leach coaching him, I think the Cougars could be a team that could move up even higher than that 23 ranking that I have him at. Right. And Mike Leach has uh, won at least nine games in three of the last four seasons. So maybe it's time that uh, everyone stops underestimating the Cougars going into the season. Um, yeah. Jeffy, how about your uh, twenty through sixteen uh, bracket? Who did you have um, placing in that in that uh, ranking? Okay, well at twenty, I've got Penn State, and um, some people had them higher. I think that's mainly on name and on James Franklin. I they lost a lot of players. They had two of their top five receivers transfer. Jawan Johnson's a big loss. Brandon Polk is another one. Um, so they. It's almost been inexplicable, inexplicable how many guys have left, so we can touch on that a little bit later. Um, Iowa State at 19, Auburn at, uh, or I'm sorry, Syracuse at 18, Auburn at 17, and then Wisconsin at 16. So uh, the team I want to highlight is the Syracuse Orange, and the big question mark going into this season is their quarterback, Tommy DeVito. Now, I think a lot of people like his moxie and they like his, you know, the way that he stepped in for Eric Dungy when he went down for a game and a half with injury this year. But DeVito was not as accurate as people uh, wanted to see him. Um, you know, offensively, they return all their receivers, though. So he does have a good group to throw to. Mo Neal is their returning running back. He's their leading rusher last year. They do have two offensive linemen. So I think that's a big question mark for them is – Will DeVito be protected with uh, three new offensive linemen up front uh, protecting him? And, and is he going to improve his 
passer rating and his accuracy. I think he only completed 50% of his passes a season ago. Defensively, though, they bring back a lot, and um, that's going to really help them in that ACC. Uh, Two good defensive ends in uh, Alton Robinson and Kendall Coleman. They were the top two in sacks on the team last year. Um, And then they bring back essentially all four guys in the secondary. And I know that sometimes they go with a five-man secondary, but really every team does nowadays with that nickel package just because everybody's lighting up the the field with that. Um, You really, it's hard to go against a Dino Babers team, especially when they've got the momentum that they had this season. So keep an eye on Syracuse uh, as we go forward. Yeah, um, mine kind of matched up uh, pretty similar with pretty similarly with yours. I had Iowa at twenty, Syracuse at nineteen, Iowa State at eighteen, Washington at seventeen, and Auburn at sixteen. And and Syracuse was a team that I also wanted to kind of go over. You, you touched upon a lot of this. Um, I wasn't really impressed with Tommy DeVito last year. He's got a strong arm, but he completed fifty point six percent of his passes, like you mentioned, and even more uh, potentially detrimental to the team. He had um, negative 15 rushing yards on the season. Um, granted, it was only 24 carries, but when you go from Eric Dungey um, being, you know, a- as prolific of a rusher as he was, uh, he was their second leading rusher yeah. on the team last year. Uh, um, those are big shoes. To- and that was only in, and Bip, sorry to cut you off, that was only in net yards. So gross mm-hmm. yards, so basically yards from scrimmage. He was their leading rusher. He had a 939 yards rushing from scrimmage. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when you take away the sacks and you take away some negative plays, which we've talked about this, I think that's a bogus stat anyway. I don't think that should count against your rushing stats because clearly Dungey was a guy who had designed runs and, and he ran well for Right, them. and and so big pair of shoes for DeVito to fill. And, and he's the fact that he's not a runner, um, it'll be interesting to see how Babers uses him this year um, to, to tailor the offense to him compared to when Dungey was running it. Um, like you said, they return just about all of their secondary, including Andre Cisco, who should be an all American, uh, candidate this yeah. year. And, and, uh, on the short list of, uh, Thorpe award finalists, um, as we enter the season and then Robinson and Coleman. Now that Clemson has returned their all American, uh, defensive line, this may be the best pair of pass rushing defensive ends in the, in the conference. So, um, one other right. thing to consider as well, they return uh, their first team all ACC kicker and punter. Um, and I know that. Yeah, and the kicker was the Grozar winner as well, Andre Schmidt. So he was the best kicker in the country. It's a redshirt freshman, I believe, too. So, yep. um, so, yep. so look for their special teams to, to really give them a, a punch this year as well. I look for the Orange to. Um, or, or they won, um, you know. The, the most amount of games in the uh, Babers era last year. I don't know if they're going to match that necessarily this year, but I look for them to. Yeah, it's going to be tough. I look for them to to continue to build upon their success and be the second best team in the ACC behind Clemson. And they do get Clemson at home this year. I know that we're we're not going to talk about schedules just yet, but um, that's definitely going to be a game that a lot of people are going to want to watch. Uh, probably big national audience. So. Um, mark that down on your calendar and we'll get to schedules uh, on another podcast um, Biff was there any team on my 20 through 16 that maybe looked a little bit out of place or that you had any um, any ill with not really um, for, from what I heard I either have those contained within my 20 to 16 or my 15 to 11 so we're, we're matching up pretty well as far as the, the, the mid part of our, our rankings are concerned 
Yeah. And I, and I would say the same about you. I mean, I don't have any issue with your 20 through 16. Uh, I mean, obviously there's some that I might have a little bit higher um, or a little bit lower, but not more than a couple of spots. So we're, uh, we're good so far. <laughs> so I'll go then I'll go in now to my, uh, my 15 to 11, um, 15 yep. is one that you might see fall further for me as, as the year goes on. And that's Wisconsin. Um, they lose, uh, three of their, um, uh, three linemen from their outstanding, uh, all everything line. Yeah. All big 10, um, offensive line. And, uh, you have to wonder how that's going to affect Jonathan Taylor. Now he seems like someone that shouldn't be affected too much in, and Wisconsin is one of those teams that always rebuilds on the offensive line, but, uh, more importantly, I'm wondering how that's going to affect their quarterback play as it was almost as bad as you could get. It seemed like, uh, Wisconsin and Michigan state were, were battling for team with the worst quarterback play all season. And when you lose three offensive linemen as good as that, um, how, how much worse can, can the, uh, the quarterback play get for Wisconsin? So wonder how Hornibrook's going to respond. He is a, uh, a returning three-year starter, but you know, that isn't necessarily a positive thing going into the season, considering how poorly he played last year. Um, yeah, but, uh, they do, as I mentioned, return Jonathan Taylor, and, and that'll be once yeah. again, their calling card on offense defensively. They lose, uh, arguably their four best defenders, uh, from a defense that was uncharacteristic, un- uncharacteristically soft last year for a badger defense. Yeah. And right. Um, I, I have them at 15 right now, but but I, they were my toughest team as to where to slot them as as I could see them bouncing back and, and having that grinded out offense get them to nine wins and be middle of the pack. I could also see them dip into maybe seven wins this year, depending on uh, what kind of quarterback play that they get, uh, regardless of whether it's Hornybrook or someone else. Yeah, and I uh, two thoughts on Wisconsin. They just need to give Taylor the ball. Um, there were times last year where they tried to get cute and say, "Well, Paul Chris develops quarterbacks, and you know we're we're more than just a smash mouth run team." No, you're Wisconsin. You line up, you run the ball between the tackles, and you beat the hell out of your opponent. Um, the other thing is uh, the last time that Wisconsin was maybe uh, an afterthought and and starting off ranked this low was 2016 when they beat two top seven teams. They beat LSU and they beat Michigan State and kind of woke everybody up and said, whoa, this Wisconsin team is for real this year. So will that be the team that we see this year or will we see a little bit more of the same from last year's Wisconsin team? Because as we talked about, the Big Ten West is going to be a lot more competitive in a good way, a good competitive. So is it going to be a case where everybody's going to beat each other up or is there going to be one team that rises uh, to the top and will Wisconsin be that team? Right. Good call. Um, 14, I have Texas A&M, 13, Penn State, and that's another team that 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 could drop depending on how everything falls out is the the Nittany Lions have 11 players that have either transferred or are currently in the transfer portal. Um, yeah. Franklin's done an outstanding job recruiting. And a lot of what puts me, uh, gives me, um, puts them at number 13 for me is the, uh, the potential that they have next year with all the talent that they have. Um, and, and especially on the defensive side yeah, of the Yeah. They return three of their top four, um, uh, linemen as far as sacks are concerned and uh, Micah Parsons is reminding everyone that uh, Penn State being their their linebacker U tradition is he should be a preseason All-American 
Yeah, that dude is just scary good. And I believe he led the team in tackles last year and really didn't come on until the second half of the season. So, so I, was gonna say, um, I don't think he was a starter to start the season. So really impressive for, no. for what he did and uh, excited to see what, what he can do with a full season of starts. Um, 12 ahead, Utah. I really think that they're going to build upon last year's solid season. They have that soft Pac-12 schedule, and I think that they can surprise yeah. some people. And uh, 11, I have the LSU Tigers. Okay. Um, I'm going to have issue on LSU there, and I'll talk more about them. They are higher for mm-hmm. me. Um, so I'll get to that when I get to my LSU status. I, I agree with you about Utah. I had them at 13, as I mentioned, but this could be a team if they are in the top five by, and again, we have not looked at the schedule, so I haven't gone through and said, okay, well, they're going to start off 8 0, 9 0. But they return a lot on both sides of the ball. Really, their biggest losses are their two linebackers, Chase Hansen and, uh, and Barton. But they're going to have one of the top defenses in the Pac-12. Their their defensive line is going to be one of the best in the country. They're an aggressive man-to-man team on the outside to all Pac-12 corners. They return two good quarterbacks. Tyler Huntley returns from injury, but Jason Shelley did a pretty good job in relief last year. He didn't get all the wins that they were hoping for. I mean, they lost. His two losses were in the Pac-12 championship to Washington and then in the Holiday Bowl to uh, Northwestern Wildcats. Um, But uh, Zach Moss returns at running back. He'll be one of the best in the Pac-12. Britton Covey is one of my favorite players in college football. Uh, All five foot nine, I think he is. Uh, but he is just one of those little scat back guys who you you love him if he's on your team. But as a defensive coordinator, you're like, how the heck do we contain this guy? He literally does everything. He's lined up at quarterback, running back, wide receiver, kick returner, punt returner. I think he sells hot dogs at halftime. Um, you know, he can make sure that your daughter gets home from uh, curfew on time at, at night. I mean, he just does everything right. So, um, yeah. <laughs> Right. Um, uh, so I wouldn't be surprised to see Utah higher than that as we go through the season. Yeah, uh, one, one thing to, to make note of, similarly to how I mentioned with Syracuse, um, Utah graduates uh, their All-American punter and kicker. So uh, yep. when you go... Maybe, maybe the best kicker-punter combination we've seen in the last 10 right. years. And, and it's so difficult to replace um, you know, a reliable punter or kicker. The fact that they're going to have to do both... Um, it could give them some trouble, especially if it comes down to these close games to where they're used to having an automatic kicker or a partner that can get you uh, pin the opponent down in the, the, the within the 20 or the 10-yard line. Um, how does that affect Utah in these close games that they may have next year? Yeah, Mitch Wisnowski, their punter, um, won the Ray Guy or yeah, won the Ray Guy Award for Nation's Top Punter two years ago. Finished, in, I think, in the top five in all major punting categories. Uh, the last three seasons and so yeah there's kind of that uh, chicken or egg question is that defense so much better because he helps turn the field position Mm -hmm. or um, is it the other way around so um, yeah those are those are good picks Bip and you know again I I talked about Penn State a little bit my big question for them is quarterback I'm not sold on Tommy Stevens being uh, the go-to guy right away to replace Trace McSorley. Um, so then begs the question, they, they, they are getting a pretty good recruit out of Oregon, Michael Johnson. Um, but, you know, I don't know much about him. And, of course, everything is just based on potential. And high school opponents are much different than who you're going to play in your college slate. So it'll be 
it'll be a wait and see game at quarterback there. But if they can get somebody going right away, and also if they can get a, a run game, I mean, I know that they've got Ricky Slate um, at running back, but behind him, they're a little bit bare. So can they develop a run game? I think a receiver, they'll be okay. Um, KJ Hamler is explosive. He'll be one of the top players in the Big Ten next year. And then Justin Shorter and um, Dotson also on the outside. Uh, pretty big recruits last year. If they can get developed, I know that they, they lost their wide receiver coach because there were reports that he just was not getting the job done and creating that talent development that they had hoped for. So, yeah, Penn State's going to be one that I'm circling and putting a big question mark next to. They easily could go higher, much higher, or they easily could. I could see them dropping maybe out of the top. Yeah, and you're right. Quarterback's going to be the big thing. As It seems as though there's a drop-off between uh, whoever starts for them this year and Trace McSorley, but McSorley last year only completed 53% of his passes. And in each of yeah, they were not going to throw and, the ball. And between uh, since 2016, he's averaged less yards per attempt um, in each season. So, um, you know, the fact that they that McSorley wasn't what he was in 2016, 2017, they could potentially get better production even if they don't have a better quarterback in um, this upcoming year. So that'll be real interesting to see who starts for them and how productive can they be. Yeah. All right, well, my uh, 16, or I'm sorry, my 15 through 11, I've got the Virginia Tech Hokies at 15, which some people might say that's a little too high, Chappie, but we touched on, on our previous podcast. They're a team that was young last year. They got a lot of guys on the field, good, uh, meaningful snaps. They're returning quite a bit on both sides of the ball. Uh, Justin Fuente, I believe that he is a really good coach. I know that Bud Foster is one of the best defensive coaches of all time. There's the atmosphere at Lane Stadium. There's just a lot of things that are pointing to the Hokies succeeding this year. So I have them starting at 15. Washington at 14. uh, Utah at 13. Oregon is my number 12 team. And the Oregon Ducks are a team that some have higher and others have right around you know the the 10 to 15 range but here's what i see with oregon there's a lot of positive buzz on them obviously they get justin herbert back and i think that was a smart decision he did not have his best football last year and i think that he can show a lot more and the fact that he came back shows me that he's a competitor and he wants to succeed. He doesn't want to, I mean, he's a, a hometown guy. He He's from Eugene, Oregon. And I think that he has this sense that he wants to go out with a Pac-12 championship or at least playing for a Pac-12 championship. So um, I think there's that X factor in there. Mario Cristobal does wonders with the offensive line and they return all five guys on the, on the front. C.J. Burdell was a good running back this year, but Travis Dye was a good complement behind him. Jalen Red is an explosive wide receiver. Um, and then on the defensive side of the ball, they're going to be uh, they're going to be pretty good, especially in that back end. Thomas Graham and Diamandre Lenore. I apologize if I said that name wrong. Um, they're two pretty good lockdown corners. Troy Dye returns as their middle linebacker, and, and he's somebody who some thought could have gone to the NFL but decided to come back too. So when you've got your quarterback and your middle linebacker saying, no, we're going to push off NFL money and we're going to come back to do this thing the right way, I think that's just a lot of things lining up in the right place for Oregon, um, and they'll be one of the teams to look out for in the Pac-12 this yeah, year. I actually, and then I actually, 
I'm sorry, I actually had Oregon a lot higher than that. They'll be in my next uh, tier, okay. so I won't give away the number just yet. But yeah, they re- they return just about everyone on the offensive side of the ball, outside of Dylan Mitchell, uh, including Justin right. Herbert. Now, hopefully, they can get better production than what they showed against MSU in the bowl game. But again, that's a a stingy MSU yeah. defense. Um, uh, right. But defensively, uh, I only had them losing about four on their two deep, uh, so they should be. Uh, returning a lot of talent and be pretty deep uh, as far as uh, experience is concerned. Um, plus, someone to yep. look out for, they gain uh, Kayvon Thibodeau, who is ranked as high as number one yes. in some recruiting services. So he could make an early right. impact on the defensive side of the ball and really add to what's been kind of an underrated uh, position ranking for teams across the country is uh, Oregon's defensive ends over the past 10, 15 years. So I like Oregon a lot higher than what you do, Um, but uh, I like that you have them at least as as high as what you do. Yeah, and and my big thing is, uh, and of course, Oregon always recruits speed. They've got an outstanding track program, but beyond um, Jalen Red, I'm not as confident in their receiving group. So if they can get guys who can run and catch the ball as well, then they're going to be even more explosive. And again, it does help having an experienced guy like Justin Herbert to throw you open, to put the ball in the right spots. Um, And we know that uh, the Ducks can fly. So (laughs) um, yeah, they certainly could be a lot higher, but I I didn't have, I mean, let's put it this way. There's 11 teams who I think are better than Oregon, at least to start the season. So, um, and then at number 11, I have your Notre Dame fighting Irish. So uh, not a top, I I know, I know. Well, I was waiting to get to that one. They, um, you know, for me, Notre Dame offensively, they look really good, except for the backfield. I'm not convinced that Tony Jones or Jafar Armstrong are going to be your Dexter Williams game-breaking backs. I think both are really good receivers out of the backfield and can be utilized that way. And again, I'm not looking into recruiting too much just yet. I'm just looking at the guys that they have coming back on their roster, and maybe they can develop talent. And of course, being the Notre Dame insider, you can speak to that a little bit more than I can, but... Um, you know, Notre Dame's Achilles heel on defense is going to be replacing their linebackers. Drew Tranquil and uh, Tavon Coney are very, very good linebackers. And without them this year, uh, looking on their roster, I, I'm not as confident in them starting the season uh, as a top 10 team because of missing those guys. They look really good in the secondary and they look really good up front. So maybe those two groups can help mask the, the, uh, the new guys at linebacker. Uh, but again, if you're missing that punch out running back to complement your passing game, uh, it's hard for me to put you in that top 10. Oh, field. no, you're right. Uh, Notre Dame uh, has lacked uh, being able to recruit top flight running backs the last few years. And actually, uh, the running backs coach, Autry Denson, just got hired um, to take another uh, a head coaching spot at um, uh, Charleston East. Southern or Coach. Thank you. Or, uh, Thank you. One, one of the South Carolina schools in the yes. FCS. Yeah, so, um, you know, good news, bad news. He was great at developing running backs, but could not really recruit any talent uh, as far as the yeah. elite uh, running back talent's concerned. So they're lacking a little bit, but they do return four of their top five offensive linemen, actually five of their top six that have all had starting experience. Um, so yeah, improved offensive line should help mask for the loss of uh, such a great breakaway athlete like Dexter Williams. Um, they, they, 
really outside of that, that's where they they uh, end at uh, losses on the offensive side of the ball. They lose Alizé Mack and Miles Boykin, but uh, tight end and wide receiver are, are a strength, especially as far as depth is concerned. Defensively, you touched upon it. Their linebackers are really going to be hurting after losing Tranquil and Coney, both from a talent and a leadership standpoint, and then also losing right. Jerry Tillery and uh, Julian Love. They really have a, a huge hole in each part of um, – each group of the of the defense based off of you know uh, elite players leaving but as you mentioned their secondary should be uh able to make up for that at least somewhat they get sean crawford back from injury this year who should he be able to slot in at corner or maybe even the nickel spot and uh i'm really excited yeah to, that's a good point i forgot i'm about really that. excited to see how much uh um khalid kareem julian aquara and uh hayes all improve from last year as as they were one of the better pass rushing teams in the country so um i had them a little higher i'll, I'll get into that in my next uh ranking but i i could see your your questions on this uh my number one question for notre dame going into this year is can ian brook uh improve upon the season that he had last year as a lot of uh quarterbacks in the second year of brian kelly have kind of uh regressed a little bit so it'll be interesting to see how mm-hmm. he does under uh, Chip Long, and can he continue the success that he had last year? Right, and can he can he flush that uh, semifinal game against Clemson? Granted, Clemson was a really good defense, and I think they show that they're a much better pass defense than a lot of people gave them credit for. Um, you would assume that a collegiate-level quarterback like uh, someone at Ian Book's level uh, would be able to do that, but really that was the first adversity that Book faced all season. Right. Um, he was riding high, riding high, and then he kind of got humbled in that game. So, yeah, to your point, um, some quarterbacks can flush it and get better. Some quarterbacks can sometimes dwell on that and um, look over their shoulder because they they lack in confidence a little bit. I don't see that with Ian Book, but it is certainly something to look out for. Yeah, for sure. So that rounds out your 15 to 11. Tell me who you have in your uh, 10 through 6. Okay, well, 10 through 6, back-to-back. I've got Texas and Texas A&M, which, by the way, I don't know if you saw on Twitter, but the university presidents have at least started talks about bringing back that rivalry, which I say it's about damn time. Uh, The citizens of the great state of Texas, where you were born and where (laughs) you and I lived for nine years, um, it's been a huge disservice to them to not have that rivalry. And it really relates to money and spoiled brat attitudes from both universities. Yep. Um, I'm not going to single one out, but I, I certainly know who is, is to, to fault there. The one that is um, <laughs> <laughs> yep, that, that's, uh, that's the way to go. Uh, I have the, uh, the Michigan Wolverines at number eight. I have Florida, who beat them in the bowl game at number seven. Um, I don't know if Michigan fans remember that or not. And then LSU I have at number six. And so LSU is a team I want to highlight here for just a moment. This team actually, it wouldn't surprise me to see them go even higher as the season goes. Uh, They return a lot. They're very deep at wide receiver. And I know that people last year pointed to Joe Burrow and said, well, he's serviceable, but he's not going to beat you with his arm. He's an athlete and he's a competitor. And I think with an off season and without having that uh, late transfer and, and he's got a whole year under the system, I think Steve Emsinger is, is going to groove him and get him to be a better quarterback. Um, but, you know, let's, let's face it. LSU is always going to be a team that's, it's going to be able to run the football first. Um, and they've got two pretty good running backs who can do that. 
uh, Edwards Hilaire and then uh, Leonard Fournette, uh, which I, I'm not, he's, he's Leonard Fournette's brother. Is that right? Yeah, that's that? correct. Yeah. And, and the spelling of their names is so darn close. It's almost like the George Foreman, George Foreman, George <laughs> Foreman, George Foreman. I don't know what uh, mom was thinking, but Hey, um, it's good. It's a good last name anyway. Um, they, uh, I mean, like I said, very deep at wide receiver. They return three offensive linemen, but that defense is still going to be good. Even though they lose their top D line or one of their top D linemen, their top linebacker and their top corner, they are just loaded on the defensive side of the ball. We know that LSU can recruit. Um, you know, they, uh, they're they going to be good again. They were 39th in the country against the run, ninth against the pass. We saw them really make a, a very explosive UCF offense just look lost and look silly in the bowl game. Um, and they return Caleb on chase on at linebacker. So they lose Pat White, but they, uh, they get – um, Chase on back, and I think that's going to be uh, a pretty even fill because Chase on started the season and went out in the first game of the year against Miami. Uh, their question marks, they do lose a great kicker in Cole Tracy. Uh, they are going to need to be able to throw the ball more efficiently. It's been well documented how Joe Burrow um, is less than stellar throwing the football, but I think that's going to change this year. And, you know, offensively, they need to be a little bit more explosive, a little bit more in the yards per play category. I don't think they were in the top 50, but again, they've got enough weapons on the outside. I think those those two backs are going to be good enough to get it done. And, and returning three offensive linemen is certainly going to help out. Yeah, I think returning Grant Delpit was huge for them. And, you know, Burrow yeah. isn't going to wow anyone, but he... he does provide the best quarterback play in Baton Rouge since Zach Mettenberger. So I think offensively they should yeah. be okay, except my biggest question is the running back position um, after they lose Nick Brissett. I just don't know if they right. have the talent to be that traditional um, LSU backfield. And I don't know if Joe Burrow is good enough to mask some of the potential lack of talent that they have in the backfield. Um, for that offense to keep chugging along. Because like you said, that defense is going to be um, stingy once again. It's loaded with athletes um, in all of the uh, position groups. So I like LSU. I like them at 11. I think you have them a little bit too high. Uh, but I could see where you might be impressed with them. The the team that I take a little more um, of a, a defensive stance against is Texas A&M. Um, they they okay. lose Williams and Sternberger on the offense, which which – really uh hurts them but they also lose i believe four of their their five starting offensive linemen uh or no i'm sorry they return four of their five my mistake i was gonna say yeah they do return four offensive linemen uh, defensively so. uh they lose uh, a decent amount including terrell dotson um on a, right. on a defense that really wasn't that good to begin with last year so i i i like the uh I, well, to, to, just to your point, they they were really good against the run, but they were putrid against sure. the pass. So I don't know how you want to classify them overall. I would say in today's pass-happy college football landscape, you're better off being um, stronger against the pass simply because that's going to hurt you on the scoreboard. Mm -hmm. but, uh, but go ahead. Yeah, I mean, I, I give credence to uh, Jimbo Fisher in his second year, and they're a team that I yeah. had hard – figuring out where to place them because they could finish very highly and, and they seem like a team that's on the uprise that's going to give the Clemsons and the Alabamas of the world um, some fits in the near future if I had to pick any team that was on the upswing 
uh, it would be Texas A&M. I just don't think that they're going to get to that level of the top 10 this year. Yeah, and, and my X factor was Jimbo Fisher. I mean, they they greatly exceeded my expectations this yeah, year. Too. And um, I mean, yeah, you mentioned some some key losses on defense. I mean, they lost a lot of their top havoc guys, but A um, and M's always been able to recruit good athletes. Jimbo is able to take that recruiting to the next level. Um, great atmosphere at A and M. I just think that uh, they were they were battle tested last year. I, I like Kellen Mond at quarterback. He just gives you um, a lot to prepare for. He's not he's not an All American by any means, but he's certainly somebody that is going to cause defensive coaches to lose some sleep. Um, my big question for them on offense is their run game. They lose. Uh, Williams, like you said, but um, Jay Sean Corbin is is going to be the incumbent, uh, or not the incumbent, but the guy who's going to be given the first nod at running back there, and he's more of a, a slasher. He's he's going to be somebody who's quick between the tackles, and once you get him in the open field, he's you know uh, like they say he gone. <laughs> um, and you know, so my question is, are they going to bring in anybody in the in a recruiting class, or have they developed somebody who didn't play this year who's going to uh, take the next step at running? back there so if they can get an established run game look out for the Aggies this year okay um so then who'd you have from 10 to 6 I got uh Texas at 10 Michigan at 9 uh which with Michigan I I I struggled of um you know defensively they they lose a lot they lose Gary Winovich Long uh and Devin Bush um so so that hurts they do still have a decent amount of talent returning um, I, I really am excited to see how Josh Uche uh, plays this year in their yeah. whole season uh, yeah. and, and if he can stay healthy because uh, he looked really good yeah. when he was in the, uh, when he was in the game last in, in the uh, the games that he played last year. Um, and I read something last year that Don Brown before the season called him out and said the most impressive linebacker we have is Josh Uche and by the way that included Devin Bush so um, yeah, if he's if he's full go, uh, that guy scares me. I mean, uh, the Northwestern game against Michigan last year, when Northwestern was trying to complete a hail mary pass, he just lit up Clayton Thorson coming off the edge. So he's he's dynamite at linebacker, just just really really fast. And, and the guy right, like, yeah. and he definitely racks up the sacks. Um, but and offensively, they return a lot. They return Patterson, their most talented receivers, majority of the offensive line. They lose Zach Gentry, and they get Tariq Black back this year too. Yeah. Um, they lose Zach Gentry, which which kind of hurts in the red zone. Most importantly, they lose Karan Higdon. I want to see how they run the ball effectively without him because they weren't able to do so yeah. against Florida. Um, but no, yeah, that was my big question mark for them was was who's going to play running back and and how is their running game going to fare? Yep, and and most importantly, they hire Josh Gaddis from Alabama. But you know, uh, you know, pinch me if you heard this before. Michigan hires a new offensive coordinator and expects their offense to change. I think it's going to be really important to see does Jim Harbaugh really give Josh Gaddis the the reins to to do what he wants this year because yeah you know that's a great I think point they gotta get away from this Big Ten smash mouth football they have the personnel in Patterson and their talented receivers to throw the ball all over the place and I think that they have running yeah. backs that are good enough to where they can play a secondary role I think they got to switch over from that 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 Bo Schembechler, Bo Schembechler, Michigan brand of football, and and get into the you know the twenty first century. If they can do, then yeah. I think Michigan could be a team that could surprise people this year and maybe even beat uh, uh, or at least challenge Ohio State 
um, and and give some credence to to Harbaugh because I know around here there's there's plenty of rumblings of you know when's enough is when is enough enough um, of, of yeah. losing to your rivals as far as uh, Harbaugh's concerned so that'll be my most important yeah. thing to see is how their offense looks under under Gaddis this year as the new offensive coordinator. Yeah. So. So who do you have eight through six? I got Florida at eight. Um, Oregon, as right. I mentioned, would circle back. I have them at seven, and Notre Dame mm-hmm. rounds out the uh, ten to six at number six. Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, and, and, and you touched on your ideas for the Irish, so yeah. uh, and, and all good points. Yeah. Too. So so then I'll just go ahead and jump right into my my five through one. Um, number okay. five, I have uh, Oklahoma. Um, both okay. before and after Jalen Hurts uh, announced his transfer. Um, okay. Four, I have Ohio State. I really don't think that they're going to miss much of a beat with uh, Ryan Day at the helm this year, as much as, as what people might think. Um, three, I have Alabama, um, and mainly because oh, wow. mainly because they they lose so much in the draft, and they had so much turnover on the the coaching staff, which they do on a regular basis, anyways. But I I, yeah. I, I see there's got to be some tipping point for for Bama, um, and and we can't yeah. just keep uh, relying upon their recruiting classes to say that they're going to continue their their elite success. So. I had them drop into three. Yeah. Um, number okay. two, I have the Georgia Bulldogs uh, taking the okay. taking the uh, rounding up and, and getting into the top two finally. And number one, obviously, I have the Clemson Tigers. Um, briefly, okay. to talk about Georgia real quick, um, they, they did have some attrition to the draft. Um, they lose four of their top five receivers, including uh, top tight end Isaac Nada. They also lose Holyfield from the backfield. Um, but they they don't lose a whole lot outside of that, um, both offensively and defensively. Um, granted, they lose DeAndre Baker from the secondary, but they uh, return yeah. Zamir White uh, from injury uh, to, to pair DeAndre yep. Swift. So that backfield should be very impressive this year. They return four or five mm-hmm. starters on the offensive line. And I, I think I just have a soft spot for Jake from what he can do uh, with his physical tools and, and his leadership abilities, I think Georgia um, could challenge uh, for the national championship this year, and and I think uh, Kirby Smart continues to have them going in the right direction. Yeah, I I don't know how you can count out a guy like Jake Fromm. I mean, there's literally nothing I can see that is uh, that I don't like about that guy. I mean, he, not only is he is a is he. A, outstanding college quarterback he's a winner he's very accurate but he's a good leader he's a good teammate um he's a good christian guy i mean just he's one of those dudes that you just look at and you're like okay even if you didn't like georgia it would be hard to realistically point out things about jake Fromm that you just didn't yeah, like. He, he's the he's the the exactly you think of when you think of the who would you like to date your daughter kind of guy <laughs> Right, exactly. I know. And uh, hey, I'm hoping that my girls uh, can pick out somebody who's a five-star uh, quarterback <laughs> who uh, lines up in the SEC. Yeah, okay. So have at it. <laughs> so, uh, so there's my uh, five through one. Chappie, how about you? Okay, well, we agree on number five. I have the Oklahoma Sooners at number mm-hmm. five. Um, I do have Georgia at number four. Okay. And it was tough. And my reason I have them for is because to me, my number three team, Ohio State, I just think that they, there's a couple reasons why they're there. Um, 
even without Justin Fields, there's been a lot of buzz about Matthew Baldwin, who was a Ryan Day recruit. And people at Ohio State are saying that they really like this guy. And I don't know that I'm not sure how quickly Justin Fields will win the fan base and will win the locker room. It's almost as if Buckeye Nation doesn't need him. Mm-hmm. You know, um, they, uh, you know, they. They bring back one of the best defensive lines, not only in the Big Ten, but in the country. Chase Young, man, I'm glad, you know, if I ever played college football, I hope I wouldn't have to be staring him down at the end of the line of scrimmage because that dude is just physically imposing. Yeah, um, he's impressive. I believe he led the I believe he led the Big Ten in sacks last year when all was said and done. Um but basically, you know, a lot of people looked at their defense last year and said, well, they weren't that good. Well, they get most of their defense back and they are going to be better. Um, they bring over Greg Madison to be the co-defensive coordinator from the University of Michigan. And the way I saw it was, is he's going to be kind of coaching the the D-line on the front seven. But I think his experience and, and his prowess, he's really going to be the the guy who's calling most of the plays on the defensive side of the ball. And, and the guy knows his stuff and he's been very successful. So with him there, I, I feel really good about this defense especially with the defensive line. Their linebackers, Tough Borland, Pete Werner, Malik Harrison, they were all pretty good as the as the season ended last year. I think they're going to get even better. Um, they're good on special teams. Their defensive backs are pretty good. Uh, maybe one of the better groups in the Big Ten and, and in the top ten in the country. Um, and then offensively, you, know, you bring back K.J. Hill. Uh, you've got Chris Olave. You've got... Uh, Austin Mack will be back from injury. Benjamin Victor had a little bit of a down year last year, but he should be better this year. Uh, there's a little bit of question on the offensive line. There's going to have four new offensive linemen, but again, Ohio State's a factory. They're getting big, strong, physical athletes there. They're just going to plug and play, and I like the Buckeyes this year, and I, and I really like Ryan Day as a coach. Um, to see what he did in the midst of all that hysteria with Urban Meyer, there were some people who were questioning, is Ohio State going to fall out of the top 25 and I thought they looked their best under Ryan Day as opposed to the rest of the season under Urban Meyer granted there's a lot of factors that go into that but I think uh, I think Ryan Day is going to have a a pretty good pretty successful inaugural season as as the Buckeye head coach yeah I was glad to see Greg Uh, Madison get away from Michigan I think that's going to be make a big difference for the Buckeyes next year yeah congratulations coach Madison welcome to the uh, the the bright side (laughs) Um, you know, we talk on, on bowl full of chips that we try to be objective, but uh, Biff and I do have a little bit of a disdain towards one of the teams in the Big Ten. So um, please don't take it personal. Uh, if anything, uh, team or fans from that team, listen to us more and, and try and prove us wrong any way you can. Uh, my number two team, I have the Alabama Crimson Tide. You know, I agree with you that the amount of turnover on the coaching staff is a little bit alarming. It's the most I think that Saban's ever had. In fact, I heard on somewhere the other day, they don't have one single coach except for Saban uh, that was on the 2016 staff. Everybody has gone somewhere else. So um, in terms of, you know, predominant position coaches and coordinators. So, uh, I mean... Alabama is a factory. They get the athletes. You know that they recruit, and you know that Saban is is probably the best the game has ever seen. Um, but you know their question marks. They they need to shore up that kicking game, and I I hate to start with that, but uh, you know championship teams are sound on all three phases, and they were just ugly in the kicking game last year. 
I do have questions about the turnover on the staff. They lost their defensive coordinator. They do get Steve Sarkeesian coming back as the offense coordinator. I like him and his offensive mind. But again, uh, when you get that turnover, these players, some of them haven't played for him before. Uh, are they going to mesh with his personality? Is he going to mesh with their personality? They do lose three offensive linemen. Good things, though, they return two or they return probably the best cradle of receivers in the nation in Judy and Smith, Waddle and Ruggs. Um, in no particular order. They'll be good on defense, especially in the secondary. I like Patrick Sertain and Trey Diggs, or Trayvon Diggs at corner, um, Shaheen Carter and Xavier McKinney at safeties, uh, Saban being a defensive back coach. He's always going to have those guys playing well. So um, they do return uh, Anthony Jennings and Dylan Moses at linebacker, and then Raekwon Davis at defensive end. So uh, the trademark of a good Alabama team is a good defense, and I think offensively they'll still be explosive, uh, provided that Tua is healthy. But his younger brother will be coming in this year, and uh, you, know, you can believe what you want. Some people are saying he's Tua 2.0. Well, you know that'll be seen and judged when he actually gets on the field. And then you know some people will say that Bama and Clemson are are one and one A. Uh, I I have a personal thing that. To start the season, I always think that the previous national champion who won it on the field deserves to start the season number one. So even if Clemson had lost a lot by attrition, and they do lose a lot on the defensive side of the ball, um, if, if some people had said, well, maybe they're the fifth best, fifth best team, I think when you earn a championship, you earn the right to keep it until you, at least you play one game. So I'm not saying that Clemson should stay number one until they lose a game. They may lay a stinker in week one and can be dropped down uh, in the rankings, but at least to start 2019, they won the championship. They deserve to be there. And uh, fortunately for Clemson fans, I think that they have the talent to start number one on merit and not just on last year's history. Yeah, I, I couldn't disagree with you more on that one. Uh, I, I, I think last year's last year, this year's this year. Last year was one on last year's players. This year you have this year's players. I agree with you, obviously. Clemson's got the talent to stay at number one this year, at least to start the season. Um, but you know, what I'm interested to see is, is uh, you know, Bama was extremely tough last year until their final game this year, coming off a national championship win. How tough is that team going to be coming off of the embarrassment uh, against Clemson last year? What kind of fire is Nick Saban going to light under his team the entire year this year? And how focused will they be, uh, you know, as they run through the SEC and then potentially get into the playoff again towards their ultimate goal of, of facing Clemson once more? When was the last time, though, Bip, that you saw a Nick Saban team stumble through the SEC to the point where it affected their postseason? Oh, yeah. No, I, I'm not saying that they need this um, <laughs> to go through it. But, but man, <laughs> if, uh, you know, obviously I'd love to be a fly on the wall from last year uh, compared to this year to see what kind of uh, practices they have in the spring and the fall and see how um, the national championship game um, from this past year affects uh, the approach that Alabama maybe goes about this year compared to years past. Yeah, no, and, and that's a, that's a fair point. I, um, you know, back to the uh, the reigning national champs. I just think that you play all year for a championship, and 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 that's the ultimate goal. So, what's to say that you are not deserving to at least start with that uh, champion? Because 
why do people use the terms reigning champ? Why do people talk about, you know, last year? It does mean something. It means something to, to sports fans. And like I said, even if Clemson wins by 15 points in their opener and the other five teams below them win by 40 points and people say, yeah, Clemson's not as good as we thought, it's okay to drop them down. But I just, I just feel that, um, you know, if you were on that team, if you were part of that team and you won that, and then to go out the next year and have people say, well, okay, that was last year. Um, doesn't mean anything now. So based on what's on paper and based uh, again on last year's talent coming back this year, we're going to superficially say that somebody else is better than you. I just think that there's a lot, um, there's a lot of, of credence in giving somebody that ranking to start the year. And again, if that's the only time that they're number one, so be it. But, you know, you, you earn that right. And, you know, some will say, you, you might even argue Bip, that, well, that's what you've got these eight, nine months over the offseason. You can say, well, Clemson's national champ, Clemson's national champ. Well, I think that extends then into week zero when you start that season and then it's yours to keep from there on and that's when you do start to earn it on the field. yeah I, I guess i would just say that's what uh rings and banners are for <laughs> <laughs> unless you're some schools and you lose them because you did it inappropriately <laughs> right? right yeah yeah if you <laughs> or 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 if you sell them on ebay <laughs> if you sell them at the barber shop um <laughs> looking at you bless you <laughs> Right, yeah, or the tattoo parlor. <laughs> so then that uh, leads you into your number one. Yeah, that was Clemson. Okay, okay. I, d- I didn't know if you had uh, anything that you wanted to mention about uh, the Tigers or not, or if we're just going to leave it. Um... Yeah, well, okay. So um, if, if you want to know why um, I, I put Clemson on number one, it's not just because they won the national championship <laughs> last year. Um, uh they, I mean, you look offensively, Trevor Lawrence, we talked about this before, that guy is as good of a college quarterback in his first year as we've ever seen. And I would put him as having one of the most impressive seasons and one of the most, uh, one of the biggest seasons that has given me the most confidence in a quarterback that I can ever remember. And he did that as a true freshman. Obviously, you've got Travis Etienne at running back, who's going to be a legitimate top three Heisman candidate. So you're looking at two guys in that backfield who are going to be in the top three in Heisman talk to start 2019. Then you've got his receivers, T. Higgins, uh, Amari Rogers, Justin Ross. Um, they're going to be one of the better and more explosive offenses. And he's got three offensive linemen in front of him to uh, protect Lawrence and to uh, make holes and to, to kick defenders out and out of the way for ETN and, and the talented backs behind him. Defensively, I really like Xavier Thomas. I think he's an mm-hmm. all-American type defensive coming off the edge. That guy is just a freak. If I could have two defensive ends, if I'm picking – uh, my defense from all these college players. I'm taking Chase Young from Ohio State, and I'm taking Xavier Thomas from Clemson. Um, Isaiah Simmons at outside linebacker, and then AJ Terrell, uh, Tanner Muse, uh, Tijan Wallace at safeties. I mean, so they're they're pretty good on the defensive side of the ball. Brent Venables is one of the best D coordinators in the game. Um, and then on offense, Tony Elliott does a great job calling plays. Dabo Swinney is building an outstanding culture there. Um, they've got continuity on staff, and that's something that you know separates them from Alabama and even Georgia. I mean, we saw Georgia lost their offensive coordinator to Tennessee, which is a little bit of a head-scratcher. And watch out for the Vols this year when we get into breaking down some of our off-the-radar teams in another podcast. And when we look at closer at the SEC, um, don't be surprised to see Tennessee a little bit higher than some others might have it. Um, my biggest question for Clemson is – 
you know, they did lose a lot on their defensive line. But again, are they that level where they're a factory and they just uh, plug and play? They reproduce uh, talented defensive linemen. My answer is yes. Um, you know, but they did lose five of their top six D linemen. Um, they lost six of their eight top linebackers. So um, how soon can they gel that new defense in there? I think that they'll be fine because the ACC is not going to test them too much until maybe the Syracuse game. Um, so come the end of the season, I think you're going to see the Clemson Tigers in a position where they're going to be in good shape. And certainly to start the season, you know, again, even if they didn't win the national championship, I still might have them at number one because of the fact that um, the guys that they have coming back are are talented enough to where they're at the same level, uh, but maybe a tad higher than Bama and even Ohio State and Georgia. Yeah, I'm going to agree with you on that. I question what their defense is going to look like this year, but then again, I question their defense going into the national championship game, so what's that worth? Um, the defense is going to be <laughs> unbelievable this year. Uh, you get uh, Trevor Lawrence in his second year. The stable of receivers that you mentioned, Travis Etienne, I mean, how as good as it was last year, it could potentially be even better this year. So it's not a matter of how good right. they're going to be. It's a matter of how quickly they're going to uh, draw the dogs off of their unfortunate ACC opponents this year. Right. Yep. So, well, Bip, that was awesome, man. That was fun. And like a delicious club pita, that's going to wrap it for us tonight. Uh, we want to thank all of you out there for listening, especially those who are back again after getting a taste of a bowl full of chips earlier. And we strongly, Bip and I, hope that you continue to subscribe, to listen, but please, please spread the word and help us be heard. Uh, our best proponent here is your voices and your movement on social media, but also to uh, subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, on Google Podcasts, on Spotify, we're on Stitcher, we're on um, a host of different platforms. So please message us on Twitter. I am at champion underscore lit. He is at BFC BIP. Um, so if you're if you're looking for a way to listen to us and you've and you've caught it from your friends or you've seen us post on Twitter, um, feel free to get in touch with us and, and we can certainly hook you up so you can get the great content that others are rapidly subscribing to. So. Um, thanks for listening to a bowl full of chips and remember bigger isn't always better we we may not be part of the big networks that other podcasts might be but at the same time we're going to give you much more detail we're going to give you a lot more objectivity and we're going to throw a lot more fun into it as well we're not just uh, sitting in an office trying to meet deadlines Bip and I, we love this. It's it's 365 for us, 24-7, and we love what we do, and, and we do it without a lot of money. So that shows the passion that we've got. So um, thanks for choosing the right over the rest. Thank you, Bip. Chappie, as always, been a pleasure. Yep. And uh, I just want to close by saying uh, love it. Love, uh, love college football. Love, uh, love my Wildcats, and uh, I love you, man. <laughs> I love you too. <laughs> All right. All right. Peace. Peace.